the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 2 Samuel, just because Saul is dead doesn't mean everyone will accept David as king right away. We'll pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 2 verse 1. The title of the message is Civil War. All right, 2 Samuel chapter 2, 2 Samuel chapter 2. While 1 Samuel was kind of about lessons from the heart, 2 Samuel, it's the same book in a sense that they weren't separated originally. It was one author, one piece originally. So the lessons from the heart are still there, but now we're going to focus pretty much solely on David's heart. And we're going to see him being a man after God's heart, we're going to see what it means to have a heart after God. And so when we started the book in chapter 1, news of Saul's death arrived to David three days after he returned from or to the ruins of Ziklag. That is less than a week since David started walking with the Lord again. But David knew he and his men couldn't stay in Ziklag. That was not where they were supposed to be. But the question is, where do they go from here? Yes, Saul may be dead. Israel is presently scattered because they have no king. People in the northern part of Israel have fled their homes. The Philistines have moved in. David knows God wants him to return to Israel. And so he knows him. He wants him to do something. But the question is where to go and what's he supposed to do next when he gets there. Saul may be dead and Israel may be in turmoil, but David's battles aren't over just yet. So chapter 2, we're going to look at this interesting thing that happens when David goes back home. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass after this, after the news comes of Saul's death, that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up unto any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. And David said, Whither shall I go up? And he said, Unto Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Hinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, Nabal's wife, the Carmelite. David, here, he is going to return to Judah, but he doesn't know that's what the Lord wants him to do yet, and so he doesn't make any plans. He inquired of the Lord. It means to consult the Lord through prayer. And we know that David did this through Abiathar, the high priest, who had access to the Urim and the Thummim to discern God's will in a situation. And so he asked the question to the high priest, shall I go up unto the cities of Judah? And the Lord answers through the high priest saying, go up. David says, where? And he says, we'll go to Hebron. It's interesting. David says, shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? I mean, is it, does it matter? 
do I not even go to Judah? That's my homeland, but maybe you don't want me to go there. I love here that David, he is seeking the Lord's will, even though it seems like a no-brainer in what, what he's supposed to do. Judah was still free of Philistine influence at that point. They had not come that far south. So it seemed obvious to go there first. But again, David doesn't presume anything. He wants to know where God wants him to go. And the Lord tells him to go to Hebron. Now, Hebron is a, one of the cities of refuge. Remember, that's one of the Levitical cities that if you got in trouble for doing something you shouldn't have been doing, that's where you would run to. You know, if you uh, ended up killing somebody, even though it wasn't on purpose, uh, I used to always famously say, if you're out playing rocks and sticks and you hit the guy too hard, then you run to the city of refuge. So this is an important city. In fact, it was probably the most important city in the tribe of Judah's lands. It's about 30 miles northeast of Ziklag, about 20 miles south of Jerusalem. So it's right there in the heart of Israel. And that's where the Lord tells him to go. And so the Bible tells us David went up there in obedience to the Lord. And notice though, the author says, and his two wives also, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail, Nabal's wife, the Carmelite. We see this all throughout since David took his extra wives that the author keeps mentioning, and he took them too. (laughs) It's like, you know, David's got some things right, but there's still some things there that don't belong. In fact, we're going to see every mention where David goes, they go with him. And it's almost like the author's saying there's trouble lurking in the future because of these decisions that David made. And there will be trouble that comes about in David's life because of his multi-marriage situation. But verse 3, we see that David, he goes up there, and verse 3 says, His men that were with him did David bring up, every man with his household, and they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. They settled down, they made their homes in these suburbs, these cities around Hebron. Hebron was so important, it, it became a region rather than just a city because of its importance. And so you had all these little suburbs around Hebron where David's men, they, they make a home for themselves. It's interesting, David and his men thought that they made a home in Philistia because, well, we're not living in caves anymore. At least we have roofs over our head instead of stone. But you know, what's interesting when they were in Philistia, they still weren't free. They were servants to the king of Philistia. They didn't have a choice of where they were to live. They had one city they were allowed to go into. And see, that's the crazy part when I'm out of God's will and in bondage to my own foolishness. Sometimes I can't even see I'm in bondage because my idea of freedom isn't really free. You know, I'm free. I get to do what I want. You know, I'm not, not running from Saul anymore. Yeah, but you're serving a pagan king. Are you really free? I love what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 34. He says, if you continue in my words, you are my disciples indeed. He says in 834. And then in 836, he says, and whom the son sets free is free indeed. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. And the servant does not abide in the house forever, but the son abides forever. And if the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Here they are in God's will once again, and it's where David and his men truly find freedom, able to choose where they settle with their families, with no more lies, no more disobedience, no more fear. And here's the truth of it. God can do far better for me than I can do for myself. Do you believe that? He can do far better for me than I can ever do for myself. That's just one reason we should trust him. Proverbs has numerous warnings about not doing things our own way. Proverbs 14, 12 being the most famous, it says there is a way 
There's a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty extreme contrast there. There's a way that seems right, just, you know, pleasing to God or, or good for me. And it ends to death, though. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's awful. It's the worst place you could go. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, of course, promises a different path if we trust the Lord. It says, trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. Bring him into the account. Bring what he says into the account. Bring who he is into the account. And if you do that, he will direct your paths. He'll make your path straight. He'll guide your steps. God is very faithful. He keeps his promises. And so we see here that David and his men, following the Lord, they find true freedom. They find true homes. And God's not done being faithful. Remember, he made a promise to David, and now we're going to see it happen here in verse 4. Verse 4 of 2 Samuel 2, And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. No big battle with Saul. It's just, boom, he's in the Lord's will, and it happens, right? He didn't have to do anything. He just needed to follow the Lord wherever the Lord would lead him, and God did it in his time. They anointed him to be king over Judah, and it's over. He's king, just like God promised. Now, the reason they anoint the kings, the word anoint means to set apart for special service. In other words, they're coming to David and saying, you're going to have a different role than the rest of us in our community. You're going to be our king. We're going to be your subjects. It's not The relationship we have with you is not going to be like the relationship we have with anyone else. And this action of anointing is communicating that. And that action, it carries weight both ways. It carries the weight of David's new responsibility to be faithful in his position, to serve and lead the people in God's will. And it carries the weight for the people to be submitted to his rule, to be following the Lord as they follow their king. How interesting that David who believed he had no support in his homeland, who had left his homeland to join the Philistines and who was willing to fight against his own people at one point. Look at what the Lord has done. Isn't that awesome? And what's so interesting about it is if we look at just weeks prior to this, where's David working for the Philistines? When all along this was right around the corner. I love that verse in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, which says we see through a glass a mirror, darkly, it says now, it's cloudy. In other words, have you, have you ever tried to shave when the mirror is still fogged up? Okay, I'm not the only crazy person that's ever attempted to do that. Yeah, it's not fun. You're trying to see, and you can barely see, and you're hoping you're getting it right, and a lot of the times it's just guesswork. And that's what Paul's saying here. You know, right now, we see through a mirror, and it's cloudy. And realize the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is he's talking about life filled with the Holy Spirit. Life filled with the Holy Spirit, we still see through a mirror that's a little bit cloudy. We don't have full understanding. When we're at our best, submitted to the Lord, we still don't know it all. We still don't have it all together. In other words, we don't see like God sees. And that means that things are very rarely truly as you think them to be. You know, there have been so many things in my life that have come up where sometimes life feels like whack-a-mole, right? And every once in a while, you got too many moles popping up for your whacker. And so there are those moments in life where you look around and it's just all these little guys are looking at you. And then you're like, I, I can't handle this. I can't do this. And it's easy to look out in our own understanding. You're never going to forget this illustration. It's easy to look out in our own understanding 
and to become overwhelmed. What, what does the, the writer say? He says, when my heart is overwhelmed, what is his prayer? Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lead me to the place where you see, not where I see. And so the problem is, is if we look out with even our understanding and at our best, filled with the Holy Spirit, we look out, we still don't see everything like God does. We still don't have all the information. And so because of that, I am not called to measure my decisions based on my understanding, based on my surveying the atmosphere around me and how many moles can I get? What's the most important moles to hit? That's not how I'm supposed to operate in my decision-making. I am called to measure my decisions based on God's character and God's commands in his word, not my ability to read the situation. Because even filled with the Holy Spirit at my best, God alone knows all the facts. And so, David, look at what God had done. Look at what the Lord was doing. He should have trusted the Lord through the whole time. And then the whole debacle in Philistia would have never taken place. I'm glad he went to Philistia because it gives me hope. Because too often I'm in Philistia. Now, Since David has been set apart to this special role as king now, it's time to get to work. And so the men of Judah inform David, saying that the men of Jabesh-Gilead were they that buried Saul. So David sent messengers unto the men of Jabesh-Gilead. The first news that David gets about his kingdom is that not everyone up north is on the run. There were some who remained courageous, and they did what they could. There's a starting point, David, if you want to turn the tide, if you want to fix this mess and and find a starting place to turn the tide against the Philistines, there's there's a group of people who who didn't run. And so David sends messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead. Now, David's first task is he's got to pick up the broken pieces of his homeland. And that means he's going to have to forge ties with those who were loyal to Saul those that might be concerned that he would take retribution on those who were loyal to the man who hunted him down. And so immediately David reaches out to the staunchest supporters of his enemy, of the one who was hunting for his life. These men of Jabesh-Gilead who risked their lives to take Saul's body and Saul's son's bodies away from the Philistines and give them a proper burial. He sends messengers to them and he says to them in this message, blessed be ye of the Lord, that you have showed this kindness unto your Lord, Saul, even unto Saul, and have buried him. And now the Lord show kindness and truth unto you, and I also will requite you this kindness because you have done this thing. The word here, kindness, used multiple times is that Hebrew word has said. It's God's loyal love. It's the Old Testament equivalent of agape. He says, listen, you, you have shown this amazing loyal love to Saul, this devotion to your king. And he says, blessed be you for doing that. And my desire is that God would now show that same loyal love to you, that God would bless you. The word there, truth, where it says, now the Lord show kindness, his love and truth unto you. The word truth here means his faithfulness. I love this because David makes it very clear to these folks who were staunch supporters of Saul that their love for Saul was a good thing and that he wants God to treat them the same way they treated Saul. And then David even goes a step further. 
He proves his genuineness by making them a promise. He says, and I also will requite you this kindness because you have done this thing. Requite means I'm going to do something to you, uh, similar that you've done to others. The word of kindness is a different word that David uses than loyal love. It just means a good thing, a kind thing, a, a gracious thing. This really special thing you did for Saul and his sons in recovering their bodies, he says, I want to I do something for you. I want to repay that kindness. I love this because what David is basically saying to them is he goes, I'm going to be just as loyal to you as you were to Saul. He takes the first step. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to stand for you. I'm going to defend you. I'm going to serve you in the same way that you have faithfully served your king. And then David invites them to join his fight to reestablish their homeland. He says in verse 7, Therefore now, let your hands be strengthened and be valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Listen. Saul's house is dead. Our nation is scattered. I'm trying to pick up the pieces. The tribe of Judah has anointed me. The Philistines haven't gotten here yet. I want your help in turning the tide. Let your hand be strengthened means be resolved. I know you took a lot of resolve to go rescue Saul's bodies. You risk retribution from the Philistines, but it's not time to chill out. It's time to man up. He says it's time to be valiant means you need to become the new mighty men. You need to become the new mighty men, and I want you by my side. I'm going to take the Philistines on. I want you by my side so we can take back our homeland. I love David here because he realizes this is no time for division or for rebellion. He's communicating to them, listen, I am happy that you were loyal to Saul. I was never in rebellion against Saul. And so we're on the same team, and we will need each other for the fight ahead. So let's do it. Let's do it. I wish verse 8 didn't happen because I would have loved to have seen what would have happened if it didn't happen. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen how David, being the leader that he was, being the man after God's heart, how he reached out to those who were loyal to Saul, I would have loved to have seen what amazing things God would have done right after this. Sadly, though, we don't find out how the men of Jabesh-Gilead respond because before David can begin unifying the kingdom, opposition forms from what's left of Saul's family. Look at verse 8. But Abner, the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, he took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. And he made him king over Gilead and over the Asherites and over Jezreel and over Ephraim and over Benjamin and over all Israel. And Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned for two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Abner, Abner is Saul's uncle or cousin. We're not sure what that word uncle is referring to. He was commander of the Israeli army. And so while things were going well for David, someone fiercely opposed God's plan. And so it doesn't explain to us how he survived the battle with the Philistines when Saul died. That normally would be considered a huge failure on his part. So I'm not sure why he's still considered someone of esteem letting his king die. It's possible he wasn't at the battle, although that would be rare. However he survived, however he's still around, Abner is a man who is used to having power 
And he was someone who actively participated in hunting David. And so Abner has no intention of throwing himself on David's mercy. And so he takes Saul's surviving son, the fourth son that had been left behind in Gibeah to govern when Saul and the other family members went to war, Ish-bosheth. And so with Israel routed at this point and so many people forsaking their homes in the north, Abner does not think it's safe to stay in Gibeah. And so he takes Saul's final son, and they both flee to the other side of the Jordan River. In fact, they flee pretty much as far as you can go on the other side. Mahanaim is way to the east on the other side of the river. It's right on the edge of Israel's border with the country of Ammon by the Jabbok River. And so he takes them far away from the Philistine threat, and they don't just cower there while the Philistines move into Israeli homes. He gets ready to fight another day. Verse 9, he makes Ishbosheth king over Gilead and over all these other groups here. Gilead is the middle region that's east of the Jordan River where he's at right now. The Asherites is the tribe of Asher in the far north of Israel. Jezreel is a region where the rest of the northern tribes, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun are. That's where the war was fought. These would be the tribes that would be mostly affected. These would be the tribes that all fled across the river. Ephraim and Benjamin would be the middle part of Israel. This would be the part that the Philistines were starting to move into. They also fled across the river. These are all the tribes, basically, that fled their homes from the Philistine victory. They would likely be on this other side of the Jordan River with the king's son and Abner. And so when Abner makes Ishbosheth king there in Mahanaim, he pretty much, he becomes the king of all of Israel. I mean, yeah, Judah's and likely Simeon, because Simeon's lands are inside the middle of Judah, they were loyal to David, but the majority of Israel is still following Saul's family's leadership at this point. And by doing this, instead of taking on the real enemy, the Philistines, the one who's invaded their lands and living in their homes, Abner's stubborn actions bring Israel into a civil war that will last for two years. It says here that Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign. Gives us an idea how old Saul was when he died. He, he's not a young man at that point in time. He was probably in his 60s, late 60s or early 70s. But Ishbosheth, it tells us up front, we'll learn about his reign, but he only reigned for two years. And it mentions here the only group that didn't go along with this was the house of Judah, the tribe of Judah. They said, no, we're going to follow David. It mentions here in verse 11 that David was king in Hebron over Judah for seven and a half years. The reason it says that David reigned there for seven and a half years is because David did not move his capital after he won the civil war. So after two years of fighting against Ishbosheth's, the other tribes, David, after he beat them he and was crowned king by all of Israel, he did not move his capital. He didn't move it to Jerusalem until he conquered Jerusalem five and a half years later. And we'll read about that when we get to Second Samuel chapter 5. Now, obviously, you can't have two kings in Israel because Israel's not two nations, right? So this creates a problem. Ishbosheth and David clash. Now, David, what you're going to see in the course of this civil war, David never goes on the offensive. He never goes to take land against Ishbosheth ever. Everything is going to be instigated by Abner. Abner's really the power here. Ishbosheth is just a name. We'll see that later on too. 
But Abner is the one who makes the aggressive moves. You know, when we look at this chapter, we see that David at the beginning is seeking God's will and Abner's pursuing his own will. And whenever you have two people in the same proximity and one's pursuing God's will and the other one's pursuing their own will, you're going to have unnecessary conflict. That's why in Romans chapter 12, it says, as much as lies within you, pursue peace with all men. That's our goal. We're not to be the ones who are trying, looking for the conflict or trying to bring about conflict. Our goal is to try to pursue peace with all men as much as lies in us. I can't control the other person, but I can control me. And so the Lord says through Paul, he says, do not be overcome by evil. See, well, they're doing this and this and this. Yeah, that's fine. Don't let evil defeat you. Instead, you overcome evil with good. Instead, do what Hebrews 12, 14 says. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Let's be those who pursue peace, not those who create civil wars in our sphere of influence. Amen? And so, Lord, we commit to you to be those who will do good to our enemies, to not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Lord, we can't do that on our own, so please fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might live this commandment out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Strong on me will save. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.